Hello and welcome to the Global Insights Podcast, brought to you by SPS, your reassuring partner in times of need. My name is Laura Woods and I'll be your host. And throughout this series, we'll dive into real stories, feature expert insights and thought-provoking discussions that should strike a chord with anyone who values safety, security and the thrill of exploration. So whether you're a seasoned chief security officer, a corporate security stakeholder or a leisurely traveller, this podcast is your passport to a world of knowledge. Today, we have a remarkable guest who is truly defining the future of security. Mark Ledlow is president of Ledlow Security Group and a distinguished Marine Corps veteran. Mark is also the host of the hugely successful The Fearless Mindset podcast. And in this episode, we're going to focus on future trends in executive protection and security breaches. And if you've ever wondered how to break into this dynamic field as a career, we may just have the answer for you. Mark, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me in this crazy world we're in. Let's have some fun with it with the audience. Do you know, I'm so interested in the area that you work in. I know very little about executive protection. So perhaps you might start by defining what exactly executive protection is. That's a good question. For the audience listening, they're going, what the heck are you guys talking about? Well, executive protection is simple. It's an agent, man or woman, former military, former law enforcement, doesn't have to be either. I've seen men and women who don't have that background shine in executive protection, which is an agent protecting an executive of a company. But they also protect high net worth families, uh, family foundations, corporate entities. And it's just a huge, broad spectrum of what you can truly protect, not just an executive, but that's what we call it in our world, an EP, Echo Paul agent. Before we go into executive protection in the modern world, you might take us back to the beginning of your career because your route into security was through the military, wasn't it? So how long and where did you serve? Thanks for asking. I started in uh, 1994. I was a wildland firefighter in Oregon. And my dad says, what are you going to be the rest of your life? A firefighter? Work during the summers and get laid off and look for another job? I'm like, you know, he's probably right. And he was a Navy vet and gave me a hard time. You should join the Navy, get the GI Bill. I'm like, Dad, those guys are soft. Their, their uniforms are ugly. The woman liked the Marine Corps uniform, so I'm going with the Marine Corps. <laughs> you chose it based <laughs> on the uniform. <laughs> the girls think it's sexy. Why not? But I was projecting myself 20 years from my 24-year-old self going, okay, what's going to open truly open doors for me in my career? I'm like, the Marine Corps is one of the hardest branches to serve in and get through boot camp. So, you know what? I need to test myself to see what I'm made of. So, it started when I was 24 years old in Southern Oregon, and that's when I started it all. When you left the military and went into the private security sector, what did it look like? Would you consider it the dinosaur age of security in that it has evolved so much in the intervening years? It was so different back then to now. Like you, you just, you explained it correctly, Laura. It was like, you know, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have LinkedIn. We didn't have any of the social media platforms that this new generation has access to all these tools to get a job. We had Craigslist, if you're lucky, Craigslist. And the way it worked when I moved to LA, I moved to Southern California from Oregon. Uh, the 2008 market just crashed. I was a banker after uh, getting out of college and leaving the Marine Corps. I became a corporate guy, worked for WAMU, worked for KeyBank, and did a bunch of banking stuff. And the market crashed in 2008. And I'm like, oh, crap, now what am I going to do? So I moved to Southern California, not knowing a soul, 
went and got my concealed carry permit and all my other credentials. And how you applied for jobs was Craigslist back then. And so I'm sending resumes to Craigslist. And then I'm getting interviewed. People are calling me off my resume. Hey, we see you're a veteran. And back then, the only people got into the executive protection industry were the military or law enforcement. That was it. You had to be the cream of the top or active duty LAPD. That's the only way you could break in the executive protection in Southern California back in the early 2000s. That was like tier, they call it tier one level or whatever they call themselves. But anybody that had that background, law enforcement, military were even looked at on a resume to get on a detail. And was that an attractive option for you when the opportunity came up to work in executive protection and work in security? Well, I, I just saw the money was like crazy to me. I'm like, $300 a day? I'm like, holy cow, I'm coming from Oregon. You don't make $300 a day. I'm thinking, I hit the jackpot. But I had my just got my carry concealed permit in Southern California. I got all my permits lined up. I'm like, holy cow, I'm making $25 an hour. I, I'm i rich. And so I took my first job. Uh, I'm not going to name the name of the company, but it was one of the big three. And they had a Indian tribe that had a casino. And they had threats from the cartel. And that was my first job offer. I'll say shout out to Robert Dodge for my first job in executive protection. He gave me my first position. We're still friends to this day. Talk about going in at the deep end. Yeah. And uh, we we're doing surveillance. We we're doing chase car. We, the operation I was on was similar to the Secret Service, but on the private sector side. You know, I feel that we all have a perception of what executive protection is. You defined it so well earlier on. And I think it's probably largely in part due to the movie industry. So many movies uh, of all genres have been focused on the role (laughs) of the bodyguard from rom-coms to thrillers and so on. And it's probably quite misguided. You know, we see these guys and women, you know, running after cars and chasing down the bad guys. But actually, you provide such a huge range of services. So You might give us an insight into the different types of protection and security that you provide for your clients. Yeah. In in the real world, it's nothing like John Wick. There's nothing like Jason Bourne. You're not carrying ARs in domestic U.S. soil to protect your clients. Sorry, folks. Sorry, guys. But I like shooting those two. I'm a Marine. I love going on the rifle range and shooting stuff up. It's just fun. It takes you back in your glory days of being in the active duty military. Yeah, I know you're 40, 50 years old and you're getting old, but that's what it does. It just, it gets those blood, the blood pumping, you know, and just gets those endorphins and adrenaline taken off. But what it really is now is my experience, um, is serving those executives and those corporate entities. It could be serving high net worth families from the Middle East. I got my teeth into working, supporting rural families from the Middle East and got to understand their custom, their culture. And it was like, it was easy to me. I said, hey, if I can get through boot camp, I can get through this. And what they do is they bring you as a new agent and you know, you have a hierarchy of family. You have like you have the handler, you have the nannies, you have the staff around that person you're protecting. Well, they treat you like an adopted stepchild when you first in because that's their culture. They want to test to see what you're made of. So they put through you a little mini boot camp in Southern California in Orange County. You're running around Newport Beach and Crystal Cove and those multi-million dollar homes that are there for vacation. And their job is to see and test to see if you're cut out to hang out for three months straight without a day off. That's usually the schedule of working with those folks. 12-hour days, seven days a week for three months. That's how it was back then before COVID. I guess I became a quick study. I could figure out their culture, how they kind of communicated, pick up a little bit of the language from the Middle East. And okay, this is how this works. 
and you just you know go through their little week mini boot camp and they just treat you like crap they just do and then once two weeks comes and you're still around they treat you like you're part of the family come to eat come eat come in the house i'm like what you're inviting me into the house now after you treat me like the adopted deaf child and you're sitting there with the prince of whatever country you're serving right you're having dinner with them you're breaking bread you're having hummus and flatbread pita bread and amazing lamb and rice. The, the food was amazing. I mean, you're eating with kings and queens. And so I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Little me from Southern Oregon pulling this off. Holy cow. But it goes back to what the Marine Corps opened up for me. But it's not a case of following the person that you are required to protect around two steps behind them. There's so much more involved. There's so much at more. Molecular level, really, from anticipating any threats and going through the schedule, as you mentioned. That's 5% of your job. The 95% is understanding culture, understanding the hierarchy, who's who's in command, who's in control, who's the handler, who's the nannies, who does what? Getting along with them, customer service. Hey, can you do a coffee run? Well, that's not bodyguard work. It's customer service. Client wants it. Guess what? Client gets it. He pays the check. He writes the check. I don't care if you're former SF. I don't care if you're the baddest of badasses. Customer service pays the check. And that's what these new generation folks don't get. They think it's all John Wick stuff to Jason Bourne stuff. You got to be, oh, I'm hard. I don't do that. I don't carry bags. Well, you just lost your job, guy or gal. And that's why the women are thriving in this industry. Because they get the customer service. They get that soft skill. And that's why they thrive. And, you know, that that was just one you know, high net worth family that I did. And we recently did a, a big project with the corporate bank in San Francisco covering multiple states. And all the men and women on that detail had to understand is we're customer service. We are supporting that executive's house in San Francisco. And we're making sure no one bothers them as this huge crisis hits their financial institution. And, you know, we are using, they're using technology, uh, uh, data intelligence to figure out where the threats were coming from. And the media was just pumping full of misinformation towards that bank. And the next thing you know, the bank folds and we're, on that uh, project for five months, and we were making sure the C-suite, when they left that corporate office downtown San Francisco, they had secure escorts to their car. And then our guy was at radio, where they were with the principal getting in the car, hey, uh, client Eagle is heading towards this house, be on the ready. And so by the time that guy showed up, agent was standing outside his car, and he didn't have to be friendly, he just say, you know, stood there observing, doing surveillance as he arrived and went into the garage and disappeared. But the key thing was our agents were really good at making connections and building trust with those executives, uh, partners or wives. And that's where we shine, having that agent, having those soft skills to create a relationship of trust. You mentioned there that you were working seven days a week. For people going into executive protection, how can you also have a life and live your own lives when you're so busy protecting somebody else 24-7? That is the most impossible thing to do in this industry is have a life. You know, it may not be meant for you because if you're kind of soft and you want to work, you know, get your eight hours a day and 40 hours a week, this business may not be for you. It's a sacrificial profession. And that's why I think the military folks and law enforcement folks thrive in the structure of this industry because they understand that from their past prior experiences in the military or in law enforcement. They understand 12-hour shift. They understand it's going to be boring at sometimes. Because 90% of the time you're sitting in the car bored you're watching someone's house. You got to stay awake all through the night and then go break yourself and stay awake. If that client finds you sleeping, crashed out in that car at two in the morning, you're done. Would you liken this career then 
into more of a vocation, that it's almost like a calling that people are involved in it because they genuinely love it and are protectors and want to protect and serve. Yes, I think Laura's, I think is in your DNA. Being a Marine, it just carried over. It was natural. I, I instinctively just naturally do things when I'm not even working because it's in my DNA is how I'm wired. I'm a natural protector. I love the feeling of people looking for me for uh, that sense of security. I love that feeling of that executive, the billion-dollar client. Hey, uh, do you got my back? Yes, sir. I got your back. Quit calling me, sir. Call me Jack. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's a calling. It's a profession that not everybody has. And I think that's why there's so many people from all walks of life that are attracted to this. It raises their character. It pushes them to do things that they didn't think they could do. And I think part of it is the lifestyle, the attraction of that lifestyle. Yeah, you may make 50000 $60,000 a year, but you become an exec protection agent and you work for a family. They have billions of dollars and they ask you to jump in a private jet. What other professions going to give you that type of lifestyle experiences? There isn't one. For sure. Can we focus on cybersecurity for a minute? Because I would imagine, especially over the last few years, when cybersecurity has become a real global threat that has obviously filtered down to many of your clients and the people that you are protecting. What does this entail for a real world client? How do you protect your clients against the threat of hacking and other cybersecurity threats? I think the digital age is the new executive protection. It's, it's the, the future of what we're doing. And there's so much cyber things, attacks happening. Like, for example, the casino in Las Vegas was recently attacked by an internal breach. And, you know, they say there's foreign adversaries that are attacking us. You know, the media pushes this misinformation propaganda that all these other foreign countries are trying to take us down. You look at the casino in Las Vegas. When they did an investigation, it was an employee that did it internally. Believe what you want to believe, but cyber is the future of executive protection. The digital security space is so critical. What I see happening right now is I see more job postings on LinkedIn for analysts, uh, protective intelligence analysts. And what they do is they help build the program. They get that data. They get that information. They put that information together and they present it to the C-suite and say, hey, these are our findings. We scrub the internet. We scrub socials. And this is what we're seeing. And that's what happened with our, our client, First Republic Bank. You know, they have a whole protective intelligence team, and that's their job to continue to uh, do research on the internet to see what was going on. And then they called us, hey, we need to stand up a team. Why? Because they had protective intelligence, and they had analysts studying this information, this data over social media and go, we need to pull the trigger, and we need to deploy a team. And that's what Brian Jane called uh, Mark Beeson, our chief operating officer, said, hey, uh, we're watching our intel and we're seeing things we don't like, and it could harm our bank. We need to deploy your executive protection agents to our different residents' homes throughout the different states. And we did that within under eight hours. It's really interesting to get your perspective on this. And from listening to you there, I get the feeling that there's been a real evolution of executive protection from the early days when you started in the private sphere to now, where it's opened up to, as you say, many other avenues um, of people with different skill sets, for example, data analysts, people who are big into computer science, who may not have previously considered this as a viable career option. It could actually be perfect for them. I mean, how does somebody get into this industry? What can they do? You know, that's a great question, Laura, because I just had uh, Pete Ford on my podcast. We just launched that a couple of days ago on my LinkedIn page. And with Pete and I just talked 
directly about that. He said a lot of these State Department analysts are working in different parts of the world for the State Department, and they're getting a few years of training, and they go, what in the world could I possibly do with this experience? The corporate world wants your knowledge. They want your background because the corporate world will offer you a lot of money for what you have learned with the State Department or the FBI or any law enforcement agency or NSA or CIA, you know? What I see in the world right now, as we all know, it's gone crazy. It's lost its mind. And we see what's happening in the Middle East right now. We see what's happening on these university campuses. And that takes so much intel gathering of different platforms that offer that to figure out where the threats are coming from, how credible the threats, and will it affect a university? Will it affect supply chain from China? Will it affect the border? We do manufacturing in Mexico. How bad is the cartel in different regions? I mean, there's so much a need for the intel analyst, and I think the intel analysts will be the future of the executive protection because they actually what they do, research and collecting data, and they give it to that C-suite to provide proof of why they need to put a team together. And they're going to be vital, vital need for those folks. We've seen recently, Mark, how big corporations have made honest errors in reporting things that turned out to be not true. And I think all of us will at some point probably fall victim to disinformation because there is so much information available now due to the internet. How big and dangerous a problem is disinformation with regards to your industry and what can you do to combat it? Well, you know, we're seeing it right now and taking place in, you know, a war. Our adversaries are pumping, peddling information on the internet. Anybody can access to it. Any any organization any individual anonymously, you have that the thing called the black web and whatever people want to portray to be true to get an agenda accomplished, they'll put that information out there and you have what Twitter, you have Instagram, you have Facebook and you, you pay enough and you can have it, you know, boosted by paying ads and all that. It's a very dangerous thing. Um, you ha- That's why we need analysts out there to cipher through this information to make sure it is actually true or false. And, uh, you know, kudos to Facebook and different organizations that are trying to figure out what is true when not, you know, what's false and what's what are lies. And it doesn't help matters when, you know, you have a war taking place overseas and that's affecting, you know, the executive protection industry as well, because, you know, you have high net worth families flying to whatever country and they need to know what's kind of going on the ground before you get there. That's that's just good advance work. And you collect your information, you scrub the social media to figure out, hey, what's taking place? I mean, it could be easy as checking an Instagram and checking out different Instagram uh, pages in Brazil to figure out how dangerous Brazil really is. Or you have Apex, for example, coming up, and you have President of China coming in, you have foreign dignitaries flying from all over the world. And if you're an agent, uh, you may want to check the social media scrubs to figure out who's protesting. And we have freedom of speech in America, and we have the right to protest. And so it might be smart to grab different organizations, see who might be protesting, because if you're with a high net worth client and you have to go in the city of San Francisco, you may want to divert and take a different route into the Bay Area, into the city and miss all that protesting altogether. That's just good advanced work using social media and misinformation, ciphering that information to find out, well, is this a scare tactic, great fear in a country or a different group of people? Or are you in a university? Uh, are there threats on a university? Is this real information or is this fear-based misinformation to get people to react and respond? 
I can see how the information you're talking about, this false information and mistruths and fake videos, you know, all for clicks, how they have such a negative impact on your job because it is so time consuming for you and colleagues to have to sift through all of these videos to make sure that what you're reporting back to the people who are employing you is correct. We're spending millions and millions of dollars to get accurate information because they have to make decisions for their executives on where to go, where not to go. What, what are the risks involved that that executive goes to that conference or that meeting or that summit? Well, based on this information, maybe the cartel is having an uprising in Colombia, and maybe there's protests that the locals aren't getting paid enough. And well, maybe let's avoid that trip now and wait for things to die down. You don't always have to take your client into harm's way. And like so many industries out there that are quickly evolving, I'm wondering, are there intergenerational issues within the executive protection industry too? People who operate in the more traditional way versus the young guns, the new kids on the block who are arriving in now with a completely different set of skills. Do the two generations complement each other and work well together or is there a bit of pushback? I think there's pushback. Right now, I think we have the old guard of the exec protection agents. We do things this way. And those are the ones that grew up with Craigslist. Those are the ones that didn't have Facebook and social media platforms. And I think it's good because this younger generation is actually pushing the old generation on how to think differently. I think the younger generation have figured out how to use technology and how to use technology in different operation, how to use Google, how to do... I mean, there's people that show me stuff like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I think their minds are so much sharper on technology and gadgets and apps to make the job so much easier in the present day now in exec protection. And I think the old guard needs to embrace the younger generation's talent. They're gifted in different ways. They're not, uh, they may not be gifted in shooting and, you know, all that fun stuff we do out in the field on the range, but they may, the technology piece is what's going to change the industry. And it is changing currently as we speak. It's changing rapidly how we conduct operations. I mean, we have Signal, we have Telegram and so many different communication applications. And then there's things for different apps that guide you on how to carry on and advance. And there's so many advances that when you go to a hotel or a restaurant and check it out before the client or the executive arrives. And there's so many, we can do a deep dive and a rabbit trail on that. So I don't want to get too carried away. But yes, the young generation, we need the younger generation's innovative ways of thinking and technology and how to make the industry even better. This to me seems like an industry that's only going to grow and grow and grow. Because traditionally, one might consider somebody with a private security detail as perhaps being royalty or a movie star or somebody very high up in the finance world. But as you've just explained there, so many different people have a need or requirement for a private security detail. Yeah, you think about how many industries are out there. You have pharma, you have medical, you have tech, you have crypto, you have finance, you have banking, you have oil, you have gas. There's billions and billions and billions of dollars in revenue right there, just in those industries alone. And what's amazing, Laura, there's industries that we don't even know that exist yet. There's new new clients we don't even know is coming up that are rich off of YouTube, you know, social media influencers, you know, family foundations, you know, you have the Disney, you have the Walton family. And I think there's going to be such a big demand for exec protection agents and cyber uh, folks and intelligence folks. I don't think we can keep up. I really don't. Because I've seen a change since COVID-19. The, the lack of the work ethic is the agents are smarter. They understand labor laws. 
They understand overtime law, especially California. You can't pull the wool over our eyes on the, the agents of California. They know their laws better than any other state I've ever seen. They just know it. Mark, given the fact that you have so much experience, um, both with the military and then in the area of private protection, where do you see this industry in 10 years time, in a decade's time, the industry of executive protection? Well, wealthy people and corporations will always need security because, you, you know, you have good and evil forces out there, obviously. and People need protection for their safety, for their health, for, uh, you know, pandemics, medical reasons. And I see this just exploding. And I think last time I checked was a $45 billion industry, just America alone. That's an incredible amount. Yeah, $45 billion. And I, I, I don't think there's going to be enough agents to support all the needs. Like where we're going to see a need is more than anything is finding good quality agents that have that character and the integrity to do a good job. The demand is to find those good agents that have a good work ethic. And that's going to be the future of our industry. And I think also protective intelligence piece is going to be probably, I'd say, 80% of what we will find as far as job placements for those roles, because they'll be embedded with different corporations and family offices to support billion-dollar family offices that are traveling globally to do different charity and different uh, foundation work that they do. Mark, finally, if people want to know more about you and your work, where can they reach you? They can reach us on uh, me, Mark Ledlow at LinkedIn. And of course, the Fearless Mindset podcast. Uh, You can find that on any podcast platform, the Fearless Mindset, uh, Apple, Spotify, all those. And then also Ledlow Security Group, LedlowSecurity.com. And then um, Mark Beeson is our chief operating officer, former federal agent himself. Uh, He helps staff jobs. And we have Michelle Skinner. She's on LinkedIn as well, helps uh, director of operations. And then uh, we have Eric, who's also in a supporting role. So we are growing. That's why I have to have a team behind me to staff these jobs. We get multiple requests a week, especially with (laughs) fourth quarter coming in. And remember, folks, all this turmoil, it may seem like it's a negative, it's chaos, but chaos means opportunity for business, unfortunately. And we're in the job of protecting people. And that's kind of what we do for corporations and family entities. Mark, you may just have inspired a new generation of security staff around the world to join you and colleagues, the next generation of executive protection. What do you think? Yeah, we need we need more younger talent, younger blood. Young energy, the the old guard, they're retiring out. They don't want to babysit anymore. They they want some young whippersnappers who are driven with vigor and they want to be Jason Bournes and John Wicks out there. Nothing wrong with having fun with this industry. Shout out to all those and just please reach out if I can be a support. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me on the show. Appreciate it. And shout out to Lee. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Mark. You got it. A big thank you to our wonderful guest, Mark Ledlow, for joining us today. Mark's insights into the world of executive protection were truly remarkable. But before we conclude, I would like to just remind you about his fantastic podcast. Mark hosts a podcast called The Fearless Mindset, and it's an absolute must listen for those seeking inspiration and guidance in various aspects of life. That's it from us for the moment. And remember, at SPS, we are always reassuringly there for our clients, providing global assistance whenever and wherever you need it. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, you can get notified of brand new episodes. So until the next time, take care and stay safe.